Hello, my darling labial legends. Welcome back to the lounge. It's been fucking ages. I know I must apologize for just totally dropping off the map for a hot minute there with no warning or explanation. Um, I am tentatively starting to create podcasts again after a few months off and I kind of just had some pretty major life stuff go on unexpectedly and had to take a bit of a break from this potty um, and just had the most challenging few months of my life to date. Um, so I'm not ready to talk about it yet. <clears throat> but um, I do want to start, yeah, start kind of emerging back into the, the online space again and creating content again and doing what I love and providing value for you um, and trying to be as transparent and authentic as possible as usual. But yeah, at the moment, I'm kind of just needing to sit with what I'm dealing with. So what I've decided to do is I've started recording new episodes, um, but interspersed between the new ones, I'm going to be re-releasing a few of my favorite old episodes. I've seen people do that. I'm like, oh, it's been a couple of years since I've had this potty running now. I feel like I can totally just like wheel out some of the the greatest hits kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm just going to select a few of my favorite episodes and the ones that were the most popular and got the most, you know, the best response and just re-release them because like that's the thing that you can do if you've got a podcast and you know, some of you might be new to joining the Labia Lounge. You might not have scrolled back through like, you know, the 70 plus episodes that I've already released. So I'm going to cherry pick some for you that you may have missed. Um, they're generally still pretty relevant. Um, and yeah, today's one, I am bringing to you an interview I did with Bonnie Bliss, who's a darling friend of mine, mentor. She actually trained me in yoni mapping therapy years and years ago. Um, and yeah, she's, she's a badass. And, um, <clears throat> we didn't, we didn't really talk about all the yoni related stuff that might be expected, uh, when two yoni mapping therapists get together, but we got, we got stuck into some pretty polarizing controversial topics actually. Um, we chatted about, Things like peer pressure and judgment and shaming and like just the utter wankiness that can be found in the quote unquote conscious community. Um, and some of our personal experiences being part of the sacred sexuality, neo tantra scene in those spiritual communities over the years, like when we were kind of first, first getting involved in that space. Um, we shed some light on some of the irresponsible and traumatizing stuff that can go on in these spaces. We tell some really funny stories, um, from our own journeys <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we also go into discussing how after all of that, you know, being in these like super sex positive, um, spaces where there's often a lot of like BDSM and kink and, um, really kind of expressive and diverse sexual kind of orientations, I suppose. We, yeah, we talk about how we've reclaimed our, our own inner vanilla. Um, so it's, it sounds a little bit like we're like spirit bashing in this episode. It's not, it's not all that. It's, it's just like quirky, honest, hopefully pretty thought-provoking conversation about some of the benefits as well as some of the pitfalls that, you know, you can encounter on a spiritual path and in those 
neo-tantric, like westernized pseudo-spiritual circles, which we've both had a bit of experience in and are now fucking allergic to. (laughs) Um, And I feel like we can talk about that with some authority um, and some irreverence because we we've been there we were in those circles we went pretty deep and then we got the fuck out of there and now we're looking back and kind of yeah providing you with a bit of a funny bit of a vulnerable um social commentary on on our experience in those spaces so very juicy very fascinating in my mind um yeah i'm just gonna let it roll so get around it this program is brought to you by pussy magnets Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ah, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. (laughs) Oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? (laughs) Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hello, my beauties. I'm really pumped today because I've got one of my besties and mentors slash teacher slash just all of the things on the potty today, Bonnie Bliss. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm a bit beside myself actually because we have conversations all the time that I just go, oh my God, I wish we'd recorded that. That was dope. That could have been a podcast episode. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got quite a few little topics and things I want to get stuck into chatting with you today, Bonnie, but I'm just going to do a little spiel to let everyone know um, what your deal is. So Bonnie is passionate about using embodied practices to support our nervous system, let go of stress, release shame, and feel more deliciously alive in all areas of life. She's a somatic sexologist, pleasure educator, and women's pelvic wellness coach. Bonnie has spent the last decade supporting thousands of women all over the world to discover the incredible world within their bodies. And I will add that Bonnie, if you don't already know this, is the creator of the modality Yoni Mapping Therapy, which I practice and which she trained me in. So that's kind of how I know Bonnie from years ago when I did that training. Um, and we've just stayed friends. And I'm really excited to have you here today, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I totally agree. We always have a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, and I kind of wanted to chat about something little little sort of left of center or maybe maybe some topics that would actually surprise some people coming from you know women like us who have made a career out of sacred sexuality and who practice a modality with a sanskrit word in the name <laughs> yoni mapping therapy <laughs> um because i feel like 
I feel like a lot of people simply hear hear the word yoni or, you know, learn about what I do for work and then assume that like I'm seriously deep in the spiritual world and maybe even not that relatable because I must just meditate so much that I'm fucking levitating above everyone. And um, I (laughs) have even had like comments from people that they were surprised like to have found me to be so pragmatic and down to earth considering what I do, Um, which is a bit like, "Mm, okay, um, that's an interesting assumption. But then I even found myself, um, I remember thinking back to getting to know you, I was a little surprised getting to know better to discover that you were a bit similar to me in that you didn't necessarily eat up, you know, all of the conscious community stuff. And in fact, sometimes avoided a lot of it these days, even, you know, even though I assumed you would like be totally front row and center of every cacao ceremony and full moon sharing circle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) So, and, and yeah, I, I want, I've got a few things I'd love to delve into today around, you know, um, the spiritualizing of sexuality or a person's trauma or problems and like my experiences with peer pressure and judgment um, that, that I, you know, you can be subject to in some of the more kind of spirit conscious communities, things like spiritual gaslighting and bypassing and, you know, like the kind of underbelly, I guess, of the, the sort of spiritual community. It's pretty general, but, you know, just from our personal experiences. Um, and I and I do want to, like, add the disclaimer that, you know, this is not an episode about tearing down or knocking the spiritual community at all. I absolutely think there's a place for everything and everyone and that there's so much value and meaning and transformation that, you know, it can be found in so many of those practices and spaces and communities that would fall under that, you know, umbrella of like conscious community or spiritual community. Um, and I've found a lot of value in that. And that's all been a big part of my journey. However, I know that both of us and many of my other friends who've dabbled in these spaces have come out the other side of their explorations with some level of wariness because of experiences that we've Mm. had or things we've witnessed or practitioners we've come across and just like a general Mm -hmm. overload of like pseudo theory bullshit. (laughs) So I want to chat about that (laughs) Um, and how we've both reclaimed our vanilla, you know? (laughs) Yes. Mm. So nice. It's going to be... Yeah, yeah, it's going to be big um, and hopefully really interesting and potentially relatable for a lot of you if you have doubled like we have. Um, but first, before we get stuck into the, the sort of juicy stuff, I'd love for you to just tell me and the listeners a little bit about your focus with work now at the moment and, you know, maybe why you've kind of moved moved away from offering yoni mapping therapy sessions as one-offs and what your main focus and passion is now with the work that you do? Mm, Well, I think the pandemic obviously changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And that was really the signal that I needed to step away from bodywork as a big part of what I was offering. But for years now, I um, have been working mostly with online programs because I'm really interested in teaching people like tools and practices and approaches and frameworks that they can bring into their lives in a way that I guess is more holistic and sustainable than uh, a one-off experience, you know, with a practitioner. And I think that 
um, those things aren't mutually exclusive and a lot of people really benefit from seeing a practitioner and then doing their own exploration and training in other ways or working with a coach or um, doing various online programs. But um, I did notice that after quite a few years of offering yoni mapping therapy, as much as I love it, I feel like there was some, some people would come to me wanting the quick fix, you know, wanting mm. the like, so I just come, I just pay someone to touch my vagina. They're going to do a thing to me in a three hour session and it will solve all my problems. <laughs> I will have my libido issues resolved. I will be multi-orgasmic. Everything will change. And of course, like my whole focus is around, um, supporting people to develop a relationship with their bodies, with their pleasure, with their intimacy with themselves and with a partner. And that's kind of an ongoing process in the same way that learning anything is an ongoing process or, you know, like, um, like looking after your health and, and well-being or, you know, like learning a language or discovering, you know, like branching out into a new industry or whatever, like all of these things are skills that take time to build. And I didn't want to, um, I found that my time was more um, felt more meaningful or useful when I could dedicate it to be able to support more people rather than just do a handful of one-off sessions. Although in a lot mm. of ways, I also really miss session work and I have a really um, special place for it in my heart. And I'm so glad that there are people like you and, and everyone else who I've trained and other practitioners in the world um, doing this kind of work because I do find it super valuable. But I also just reached the end of the, the natural end of the line for me with, with session work. Mm, yeah, totally relate to that, that whole, um, that whole thing around like having a magic bullet or, or sort of band-aid solution and, and that instant gratification culture and expectation, um, that, I feel a lot with the, you know, people coming to you to be healed or be fixed or be cured and sort of just outsourcing the work that needs to be done within and seeing practitioners as like a mechanic that can fix their problems for them. Like that's a drainer. And I do get it. I totally get it. I, mechanic, I sometimes, right? yeah, yeah, badge mechanic. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's like understandable as well. Cause like we're often just sold all of these quick fixes and made, made to believe that there is a simple quick solution to anything but realistically like there just isn't with so much stuff especially when it comes to this work and there's nothing more draining than like having this sense that you know your client is pretty much just wanting to outsource all of that work and and get you to heal them or fix them and then knowing that they're probably not going to go back and do the home play practices that you recommend or do the self-work or come and see you for like, you know, a whole bunch of, of sessions over a longer period of time to really go deeper each time and work on things over mm. a longer term it's just like oh well I tried that and it didn't work and well I guess I'm just broken or it can't I've be had my or something. Mapped, tick like that yeah done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well I literally just got back from the osteopath and you know I love going to see people like that and I have a great osteo who I love who's especially great with pelvic stuff and it felt really like I have a broken toe at the moment so I really needed it because my body's mm. a little bit like twisty and I noticed mm. like I've had these patterns with the osteo where 
I want him to fix everything. And then Mm -hmm. I'll go home again and I'll be on the computer too much. And I'll be sitting in ways that aren't good for my body. And I'll be not moving in the ways that I need. And then I'll be like, go to the osteo, like totally tight and stiff and tense and be like, fix Mm -hmm. me. You know, it's like, it's only ever really a bandaid because what actually works is like looking after myself on a deeper level. And that's where it comes into like all the deeper sexual wellness stuff. And that's something that often we have shame around. We don't know how to do. We feel uncertain and also can feel um, confronting to create these habits and patterns in our lives when we don't live in a culture that supports it. Mm, Totally, totally. Yeah, I can relate to that. I often find myself in a pretty similar sitch where I'm going to the osteo, I'm going to the Cairo when things have gotten so bad that I'm like, fuck, I need help, mm-hmm. fix this. Mm-hmm. And then all of the stretches and the exercises they want me to do and the postural things and the lifestyle changes, they are the really tricky things to implement, but they're like probably right. 90% of what you actually need to be doing. And 10% is what, what yeah. the practitioner is doing for you in that session. Um yeah, so I mean, we all we're all uh, guilty of of doing that, um, but I suppose yeah, that's that sort of leads me into my next um, question, which is around trauma informed work versus not trauma informed. And I think like if you are trauma informed, then there really is such an emphasis on like a longer, gentler process with someone that works, you know, over time. Like, what's your kind of um, take, I know you're very trauma informed and very passionate about that sort of thing. So yeah, I'd love to just hear how you sort of look at it or explain, explain your approach to clients as a trauma informed Mm. practitioner. Yeah. I mean, this word trauma informed or this term is being bandied about a lot these days. And I've noticed like there are people I know who are like, I'm trauma informed. And I'm, you know, like who really emphasize that as part of their work, who've only ever done like a one day training in trauma stuff. So <laughs> I think it is, it is really interesting, like the, the, the term and what it means. Um, but for me, I think it's really about supporting people to, Um, to go at the pace that they're comfortable with and not um, be forced or pushed into anything Mm. that doesn't feel right. So, for example, obviously in body work, it's really going gently, not forcing or pushing um, anyone to go towards internal work if they don't feel ready for that, Um, really taking time to listen to people, honouring like all of them, right, not just like because I think this is what the danger of what happens in the spiritual community where people are, there's a lot of um, approaches that are really not at all trauma informed where it is very like just transcend your problems or just like go into the thing and you just like go Mm. to your edge and you push yourself and you expand into it and you, you know, transcend the issue and, (laughs) or, or you kind of go like, Oh, well, I've got this issue, but like, I need to work out what I can learn from it. And why did this happen to Mm. me? And I need to do all this reflection to work out how I manifested this. And it's like, maybe you were just in a relationship with an asshole, you know, or maybe you just had a really awful experience because that person didn't know what they were doing or whatever it is. (laughs) Maybe Mm. it's not about spiritualizing it. It's about like finding that sense of safety in yourself and going slowly and gently or at a Mm. pace that feels right for you and your body and your emotions and your heart and your mind and all of the pieces of you mm. rather than just just listening to the part of you that wants to like blast through or push through the barriers because I've had so many experiences. Like the reason I'm so passionate about this trauma-informed approach is 
I cannot tell you how many probably hundreds of workshops I've been to that where I felt pushed, forced, um, where I felt like everyone was doing something that I did not feel comfortable with and I just did it because Mm. I felt like I was expected. I think in the early days it was really the Wild West when I started teaching this work and I'm sure that I was you know, not as aware as I could have been with that stuff and probably encourage people to do things that they maybe didn't feel quite comfortable with, you know, like in terms Mm. of practices and things in workshops. And I think it is um, kind of dangerous in a way because a lot of facilitators don't have um, trauma-informed training. They don't really understand this stuff. They maybe come from the spiritual community or, you know, they haven't even formally learned facilitation, right? Like I haven't formally trained in facilitation. I've just learned it from teaching hundreds of workshops and, you know, 15 retreats over the last 10 years. But it's, um, it's an interesting thing because sometimes there are people who I would say like really shouldn't be teaching or there are people who have a mm. tendency to push um their students into some super intense situations and and I've been in so many of them that I can kind of look back and be like oh god like I really did not feel comfortable to set that boundary or I didn't feel like I could say no well I was really in like a freeze response or Mm -hmm. I was in the fawn response you know the nice girl the people pleaser Mm -hmm. the like it's fine it's fine it's okay I can do it I'm just gonna deal with this just keep smiling you know like that's been such a big Mm. pattern for me in the past and I think with sexuality work it's so important that we do not um, push ourselves and we we set the boundaries we need to and we don't just play the nice girl and we you know really listen to our bodies and what they need and that's a big part of what any um, trauma aware practitioner should be focused on. Yeah absolutely that's that thing about meeting your client, like exactly where they're at is so important. And like knowing when to push an edge and then when not to push. Cause I feel like there is a fine line between like, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're challenging yourself and pushing a little edge and you're facing some fears and stuff that can be beneficial in some contexts, if you have the inner resources, if you've got the space held really safely, but it's such a fine line between that and then just fucking traumatizing yourself even further. And I feel like there's this like, I don't know, it's sort of in the personal development community, but then also there's a spiritual take on it, which is like, feel the fear and do it anyway. And like, push yourself out of your comfort zone. And like, yeah, that Mm -hmm. can be fab totally. And I like went pretty gung ho with that for a while and found it really valuable to like, just challenge myself and push myself out of my comfort zone, which then forced a whole bunch of growth that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have done it. But like it can also just absolutely traumatize you and force you even further back into like under those layers of trauma and, you know, not feeling safe and not feel like there's such nuance to it. Um, and mm. yeah, I think it can be quite, quite toxic that like that attitude of like, you know, you've just got to like, yeah, you were saying earlier, like just transcend the emotions. They're not even real. You've got to get out of your mm. ego and like break free of the shackles mm. of, you know, like, and it's just fucking bullshit sometimes because 
you, mm-hmm. you know, especially yeah. as a facilitator, you don't know if that person, like in a group in particular, like it's so dangerous. You don't know if that person's had mm-hmm. like childhood sexual abuse or like any, like any number of experiences. currently in an abusive relationship. Or- yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like a really, really nuanced and tricky thing to make sure you're striking the right balance between, yeah, I guess pushing where it's good and healthy and helpful to push and then really making sure you don't push at the wrong time. Um, and that that's mm. that's kind of how I see trauma-informed work as well because everyone's so unique. And I think trauma is something that you can't see very easily. And sometimes if it's a mm. massive reaction, like a trauma response that's really obvious externally, you can see it, but then sometimes it's so subtle and you won't see it and they'll be in the fawn or the freeze. Or like, you know, it'll be seen, a trauma response might be seen in a in the context of a tantra workshop, for instance, as like this really cool cathartic release or like exorcism. And it's like, oh, actually that mm. person's just having oh, a full body <laughs> fucking trauma response. <laughs> Don't get me started on those. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing with catharsis, right? Like that's, that's a really strong thing in sexual communities and spiritual communities that I've been in where there is this forcing into like you've got to have this massive release. And I I remember once when I was living in Europe, I had someone wanted to film a segment of um, me doing yoni mapping um, to be on a TV show. And I was like, well, I don't think it's going to work because I don't see how you could present it in a way that would make sense in such a short time. And she was like, Yeah. yeah, but like, I I heard that there was someone who had that kind of thing done and they were like doing a demonstration and there was like, and he was like throwing up blue stuff and it was all really crazy. Like, can you do something like that? And I was like, oh God, like, okay, firstly, like it's not a performance, you know, like it's not about what it looks like. And I think that's a thing that I've seen a lot in Mm. rituals and like the sexual space and in, in kind of the conscious sexual spiritual community spaces where it's about, it's almost like a competition for like who looks like they're having the biggest release, you know, and you see the people in the corner who are like shaking and screaming and like, like doing all the things. And like, you know, I've had some of those experiences and, and, you know, I'm not, not saying that they're not valid or helpful. Sometimes they can really feel quite opening, but um, I think there is a shadow side of that where it's like, people get attached to that super intense experience and um, then they kind of override all the subtleties or the signals of the body. And then also people start to compare what they see someone looking Mm. like, like there'll be, might be someone, for example, like at a dance event, right? someone's having a massive experience in the corner and there might be other people looking at them going, oh, they must be so much more evolved than me or so much more open or so much more in tune with themselves because they're having this big experience and I'm not. But you can't tell from what it, what someone's doing with their body. Like you don't know the depth of their experience. You can't tell, you know, how meaningful it is to them or if it's a, if it's ultimately beneficial or not from looking at someone at all. But it's just mm. we tend to do that, right? We compare ourselves to other people. And I think that's especially dangerous when it comes to, to sexuality. Oh, my God, totally far out. The amount of times I've... Yeah, experience just this. Like it's almost like a pressure to be as expressive and out there and over the top with your kind of um, 
yeah, expressiveness, I suppose, um, to to show that something big is happening or a big shift is taking place or you're releasing or you're purging. And, you know, that can totally happen in a really gentle, subtle way that isn't obvious to anyone from the outside and it's no less powerful. But then, yeah, the, I feel like there's this real emphasis. It's almost sort of encouraged or seen as, I mean, the feeling that I got personally just from my experience was like it seemed to be looked upon as the more evolved, more superior, more desirable way to, you know, proceed in a workshop yeah. uh, where that you were doing work, whether it was trauma work, whether it was, you know, energy work. And so it was almost like, yeah, I felt a bit of shame or a bit of not good enough insecurities arising if I wasn't as expressive and out there as other people. And of course you compare yourself to other people. And, you know, I've definitely heard that some, some people have found themselves in these workshops where they're not, not used to um, that kind of expression. And I don't know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of listeners might not have been in these spaces and workshops. So just to give you an idea, there can be some pretty loud, uh, big kind of screaming, <laughs> wailing, crying, shaking, convulsing, almost like exorcism-y, possessed-looking, you know, types of um, releases or expressions, which can be fab, totally not knocking it or shaming anyone if that is what they're experiencing or that's their style. But then, yeah, it's almost like that is looked upon as being like the... I don't know, the, the, the thing to best attain. way. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, or even just, just like that sexual openness, right? Like I know mm. a lot of people I know uh, uh, love going to sex parties or going to orgies or going to like play parties, you know, I think they're called a lot. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, and often when, when they have house parties, there's like a room where there's a playroom and you can play sexually with people. And that's like, I fully support people doing that if that's what they want to do, you know, but then there's also mm. this subtle undertone sometimes of like, well, if you're really open, you'll, you'll, you know, be okay to have sex with lots of different people or you'll be okay <laughs> to just like go into the room and have lots of people touch you. And it's like, what if that's not what I'm into, you know? And what Mm. if that doesn't mean that I'm closed or uptight or there's something wrong with me? What if it's just not my thing, you know? (laughs) Like, and that's, that's been a real process for me. Like I've had stories that like, oh, I'm not open enough or I'm not, you know, free enough in my body or I need to, you know, be open to like go to these things. And it's just, and like, I've, I've been in those spaces a couple of times and like, not really engaging, but just kind of witnessing or, and I can appreciate it. And I can see that like, okay, it's can be really beautiful to share your sexual energy with multiple people, but it's not what I want to do, you know? Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. Totally. Yeah. There's so many uh instances that I've I've felt um 
pressure from the community and like judgment, I think. And, you know, some of that might have totally just been coming from within me. But I think, you know, speaking to other people, it seems to be a bit of a theme that, yeah, if you're not kind of um, doing doing what they're all kind of doing and being really open or expressive or um, non-monogamous or whatever it is that mm-hmm. that, you know, that's common in that space, yeah, it's like you you just haven't freed yourself of your ego or you haven't released yourself from the fear and insecurities that come with open relating or you're you know you haven't transcended mm. jealousy or you haven't you haven't mm. um <laughs> gotten comfortable enough to lose composure in front of other people and it's like actually like maybe or maybe I just don't fucking want to or I it's not the time or I don't feel it coming authentically so I'm not going to force it and mm. maybe that's just not authentic yeah. to me any of the time or right now or you know there's just so many many um so many it's you know different strokes for different folks and I feel like there's this uh attitude that that space is actually so much more like accepting and freeing and non-judgmental and like they've got all the answers and they're like so evolved and ascended but but actually like in in a lot of the spaces that I was sort of you know the circles I was swimming in I would still find just as much peer pressure, just as much judgment and shaming, um, just as much, like just all of, it's almost like, so a little example of this that I've got is like when I was 18 or something, I, um, I saved up my pennies and I got laser hair removal because I was so self-conscious um, about my body hair. All through high school, I'd been bullied about being hairy and I was just like, super, super self-loathing. I had heaps of body image issues and hair was a big one of them. And so I lasered off like all my armpit hair, all my pubic hair, all my like snail trail and my unibrow and my mustache and my nipple hair and like basically everything, my toes, everything I could afford to get lasered. I fucking lasered the shit out of it for quite a few years. And then, and that was, you know, to, to conform to like society's like beauty standards and feel comfortable enough to let somebody maybe see me naked or like feel comfortable with a partner being intimate. And that was kind of before I'd gone on my journey of like personal development, self-acceptance, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was so interesting because then I started, once I did get onto like the personal development, tantra, sacred sexuality tip, I, um, I sort of started going to events where like there would, there was like nudity or a confest, for instance, where clothing is optional. And whereas before I'd felt so self-conscious and hideous for having pubic hair then because I'd, <laughs> I'd lasered it all off. And then I found myself in these spaces being naked around all this bush. Cause like fucking awesome. Good on them. I felt self-conscious for not having pubes. And I was like, bloody hell, I can't win here. Like now I'm, now I'm not a feminist because I fucking lasered my pubes off. And they're going to think they're going to, they don't know that though. They're going to think that I just remove them because I'm insecure. And it's like, Hey, like that's a choice that everyone, you know, can make for themselves. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not as like confident in my womanliness or, you know, there's all of these like judgments around fucking everything basically. But yeah, Mm. I was just kind of like wanting to emphasize like those, those spaces aren't 
immune to that. Like there are, there are judgments and it's so funny because on one hand, it's like telling you one thing and then you go into this other space and it's telling you a completely different thing. And both ways, there's going to be the feeling that you're being judged or people are making assumptions about you based on like a personal choice or personal style, mm. I suppose, of like expressing yourself. Um, mm. Yes. <laughs> so I totally relate to to that yeah it's it's like I mean yeah it's tricky to I suppose it feels very present to me because I like you have been to so many workshops and so many trainings and this and that um and in that space a lot whereas a lot of people haven't at all so maybe this wouldn't be relatable but it's it's um it's sort of gotten to the point for me now where I I immerse myself in that world for a few years and I kind of went deep and then I I've come out the other side almost like allergic to anything that even Mm -hmm. like sniffs like if I get a whiff of like Mm -hmm. a cacao ceremony or like a, a meditation circle or and it's not that I don't think those things are great and valuable and in the right context they can be really awesome but it's almost like I've gone so far in the other direction now um, that I find it really triggering and almost get a bit of a like mm. gag reflex on when, um, mm. you know, when there's like a divine unity consciousness fucking moon circle going on or whatever. And and then I feel like a judgmental asshole at the back of the bus just being like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm with you. I'm with you there because I think I think part of it is like I overdid it, you know. Yeah, I was in too. those communities for yeah. a while and I think I stayed in them too long or I kind of pushed myself to keep doing all the things when it no longer felt right or it was maybe connected to the people I knew and it was my community. So I was like, well, I should go to this. Or I found myself facilitating certain things and I was like, well, this is what I do. I don't know. I just have to do it and not really reflecting and being like, actually, you know, this is not resonating anymore or Mm. what do I actually need? And I think this is the danger with the the personal development community. Like it's amazing. And I, I love a lot of the personal development out there and I personally resonate with a lot of it still. Um, but I think there can be this obsession with like constantly improving yourself. And and then sometimes people get so fixated on improving themselves. And the thing is, obviously that's infinite, right? You can be like, right, well, I'm just going to optimize my health. And also then I want to like make my body look a certain way, but I also want to deal with my trauma. And I also want to, you know, like deal Mm. with this thing and become more confident with blah, blah. And, you know, all of this, and it can become just so um, all encompassing to the point where Mm. you're not fully like living your life, you know, or you're not present Mm. in the little moments of your life. And you're just so Mm -hmm. constantly just like running around to like the next workshop and the next retreat and the next training and on a nervous system level, that's super full on, you know, like there's Mm. a, I think there's, there's a lot to, to say about like the importance of integration and like having a big experience or going on a journey or doing something. And then like really just coming back to your life and, and resting and reflecting and feeling the impact of that. And the problem Mm. is when you're seeing six practitioners at a time or going to workshops every week and retreats every second weekend, and, you know, just constantly on that personal development, like bandwagon and not pausing or getting off it, 
it can become like quite an addictive pattern where you're not really fully enough in your life to feel the Mm. impact of the personal development work you're doing and to actually know what's right for you rather than just jumping onto the next thing. And I think sometimes like as a kind of type A personality, you know, like I'm very, my life is very fast paced. I'm very fast paced. Like I find it hard to slow down. That's part of why I teach slowing down because it helps me to slow down. Like, and all of the pleasure work is really, you know, supports me to ground and connect. But like, I have had those patterns of just like right onto the next thing. What's next? What's next? What's next? And for me, Mm. it's like an avoidance of the present moment. And actually like the thing that has been the most profound for me in terms of all of my personal development or, you know, what's given me the biggest gift is literally like being in the moment with like walking in nature or like looking at a pretty thing or really like having a really powerful conversation with someone I care about or having sex with my partner or like touching my body and just, and even the practices, like I think people get addicted to like, well, I want advanced practices or I want the, (laughs) give me the like really advanced stuff or the really fancy stuff or like the next level stuff, or I've done the beginner's thing. I'm ready for advanced now. Mm. And what's interesting is like when I look at my practice, practice and what I do in my own life like it's the most basic shit like I think a lot of people wouldn't believe me that the stuff that I do is so basic because it's like that's what supports my nervous system that's what helps me to ground and feel my body like it's literally just like you know moving my body and feeling what's there or like just t- gently touching myself in a non-sexual way or like looking at the tree moving outside like all of this really simple stuff mm. that when you go into it like that simple stuff is actually incredibly powerful But if you're obsessed about like just going to the next thing or the more advanced thing, you never fully get that magic of simplicity, you know? Totally. Yeah. I I struggle with this a lot. Like the thing you were talking about where it's almost like you get so addicted and fixated and it's well consumed actually. Like when you're getting really into the personal development and bettering yourself and growing and seeing every little opportunity um, like challenges and opportunity to grow or learn something or whatever, you just do become quite consumed and almost obsessive with this, um, yeah, this kind of uh, personal growth, um, I guess, trajectory that, you know, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But anyway, yeah, you you get kind of obsessed. And then I feel like I personally just stopped being able to just enjoy it's like when it's like I have friends who are film students and or used to be film students and so now they work in the film industry and you see all the behind the scenes you see what goes into creating a film and now they can't watch films without it being kind of ruined for them (laughs) because they analyze every little thing so that's like my metaphor for like what I'm trying to explain (laughs) getting tongue-tied over here Mm -hmm. but I feel like I almost can't stop my brain analyzing every little thing or any little um I guess, uh, trigger or trauma that will arise in me or a response that I'll have. And I'll be like, oh, well, that's because of that. And that's understandable because of this childhood experience and trauma. And so then, and it's like overthinking everything, which is, it's good to like reflect and to understand where your patterns come from, where your belief systems come from, you know, all of that. But then when you go really deep and get really nerdy on all of that stuff, the trauma work and the personal development work and the childhood you know, all the repatterning, blah, 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 blah. 
all the buzzwords um, like I have, it's like actually mm-hmm. kind of messy. And then you, I'm not even, a lot of the time I was finding that I wasn't even like putting into practice the strategies or the tools because I had too many and I was so confused at mm-hmm. any one time, like which one would be good and, and how to, it was, yeah, it was kind of, overwhelming and not that helpful. And then I just became obsessed. And then I think like also the more I thought about things or like focused on things, um, the more I started feeling like I I almost feel like sometimes I'll beat myself up for being too sensitive or being too affected by Mm. things or like I'll feel like I'm bringing up I use the word trauma too much or something, but it's like, it's, it's real. It's like so much of how I behave, my patterns, my beliefs, my reactions. If I have like an emotional reaction or a, you know, to something that goes on, say like in my relationship, if we're having a conversation or like some experience triggers me and I have this whole process and I'm able to be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. This is obviously because of like this trauma in my upbringing and da 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 So I can explain it, but then the next step is like actually, I guess, yeah, rewriting that and helping me feel my, my nervous system feel safe enough so that that doesn't keep happening. But then I start feeling like, mm. oh, I'm just, I'm being too sensitive. I'm too focused on, you know, my like my trauma and like everyone must get sick of hearing about this. And um, yeah, it's a tricky one. Like I'm, I'm just sort of like rambling now about my experience, but that's something that I come up against a bit with being very focused and very aware, like almost, I feel like almost too self-aware sometimes for it to even be helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and then you can get in these loops where it's like, oh, this is definitely not helpful. What do I actually yeah. need right now? And often it's like sunshine or water. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's often mm. those really simple things and just being consistent with them and bringing yourself back to that, yeah, that sort of presence, I suppose, which, you know, also just sounds like a kind of wanky buzzword. But it is true because, like, at the at the bottom of mm. everything is that nervous system um, sense of safety, sense of security, um, and that sort of inner resource. So, yeah, when you want to like really stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and bring yourself back into a sense of safety, those are the, those simple things are like the mindfulness things and the nature and the like just paying attention um, to the moment. Those are the most helpful, but I find them the trickiest to actually remember to do. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, actually, maybe we'll just pop in a little segment, get pregnant and die here before I launch into some other <laughs> questions. <laughs> Are you ready for get pregnant and die? Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise. I'm ready. Amazing. So I'm just going to ask you if you have any stories of uh, or an example of how your sex education might have failed you or if you'd prefer something that you would have loved to have learned about in sex ed that you didn't get told about and discovered in adult life. Mm, I mean, I 
my sex ed was terrible. I mean, it was probably the early 90s um, and we literally just learned about, we actually learned nothing about sex. This is what was really interesting. It was literally about like how not to get pregnant. So that's contraception, right? That's not sex. And then we also learned about the dangers of sexually transmitted diseases and how not to get them. So that was it. And there was, there was nothing about actual sex. There was nothing about intimacy. And there was nothing about pleasure. And a few years ago, there was a study um, from a major Australian university, cannot remember which one, but um, they outlined, I think, like 30 different um, topics that uh, could be taught in sex education and uh, and then did a did a survey of like you know all of the schools and how they taught those topics and how often they came up and the one that came absolute last was pleasure of mm. all of the topics wow. and that I think is very telling because I work with women and have worked with thousands of women over the last decade who feel really disconnected from their pleasure and have don't have much of a connection to pleasure in their daily lives and in their genitals and in their self-pleasure and also in their intimate relating with a partner. And that makes sense if you've grown up without any reference point for it. Like, and of course, that's how we develop shame around sexuality, right? When we are, when we're not told that it can feel good and then it starts to feel good. And then we feel like there's something wrong with us because it feels good. It's Mm. just like so (laughs) screwed up. And yeah, I think I would love to see, and I think it's, it's happening a little more now, but we still have a very long way to go. I would love to see like extensive education about pleasure um, for people of any gender in sex education, you know, all over the world. But um, in Australia, yeah, I think it's really abysmal, almost not mentioned <laughs> generally. Yeah. So, yeah, more pleasure education. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, me too. Wouldn't that just make so much difference? Oh, my God. <sighs> so many women who come to me like they – have maybe felt really disconnected for decades and they might come to me when they're in their late thirties or in their forties or fifties, just being like, I realize I've been sleepwalking through life or I feel completely numb in my vagina or I'm completely Mm -hmm. in my head during sex, or I don't know how to feel pleasure at all, or I don't, I've never had an orgasm, you know, and I just wonder what it would have been like if they learned that stuff at a much younger age. Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. And like it, even so, I, I feel like some people might assume that if they get taught something ex- is explicitly bad, then of course that makes sense that it's going to, it's going to create like a bit of a shame cycle around that thing. So, say if someone was actively discouraged from pleasuring themselves or something, um, you know, makes sense that they would then have a thing about that. But I also find that just the the mere absence of a topic can be enough to send the message like subconsciously to the person that it's also shameful or not okay or just not important or valued. So the fact that pleasure is just left out completely can be just as damaging as if it were actively discouraged in a way, I feel like. Maybe not quite as serious, mm, but exactly. yeah. 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 Mm. For sure. Um, so I was, I was like reminded of a little story we were talking earlier about, um, I guess being, yeah, pushed into certain situations or experiences and like encouraged or pressured to 
behave in a certain way in some of these like workshops or circles or whatever. Um, and I was reminded of a story that I've, I think I might've told you about it before, but it's kind of, it's, it's a story to just, uh, I guess, show that sometimes um, even though the spiritual community or the sacred sexuality community is like always banging on about consent and consent-based, like some sometimes people will like come up to you and like ask you permission before they hug you hello and like it can, it can go to like, like the sort of consent-based super, super, super PC um, stuff can go to really extreme lengths, which you know, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes I feel like it's overkill. Um, but I find that sometimes consent is just totally fucking lacking in some ways. Um, because people almost just expect you to participate in. So and I'm just going to tell the story because that might, uh, give a better idea of what I'm banging on about. Um, but basically I was at a, it was a friend's birthday and um, I knew like one or two people, but for the most part, it was a group that I knew of, but I wasn't close with um, and definitely a little bit more in that sort of open, relating, conscious community-like sort of space. Um, so, you know, there was a few little rituals and ceremonies and different things going on, which is all cool. Um, but I was feeling really like really introverted, quite antisocial. I'd rocked up because I really wanted to support my friend and say happy birthday, but it was um, kind of after like a huge stint of lockdown and I wasn't feeling very up for socializing. Um, and I was pretty out of my comfort zone um, already being there. And, and so I was sort of hanging away from the group a little bit. And at one point I just sort of went and as I often do at parties, like bunkered down at the snack table and like just started going into beast mode on all of the snacks because um, I love food and also, I mean, that's usually where you can find me at a party. Um, but also I was like, this is a nice little safe space away from like too much, too many groups and too much socializing. And I, um, yeah, I just felt like being alone or maybe with chatting one-on-one -on -one with like one other person or something. And I think that also needs to be like normalized and acknowledged because there are a lot of introverts that don't thrive in, you know, social settings where it's anyway, that's a different tangent, but basically what happened is um, everyone got ushered outside to um, watch the sunset and someone had a guitar and someone had a djembe drum and, um, there was some singing and I assumed it was a bit of a happy birthday thing. And I was like, cool, I'll be there soon. And I sort of stayed inside and just ate a few more olives and, you know, just bided my time. Um, cause I really didn't want to go out and be around everyone, but I was like, oh, I should, I should go. And I walked out and they were in the middle of a, um, like a singing circle. I didn't really know what was going on. I just could hear singing and I like walked out. Everyone was in a semicircle around the main person with a guitar in the front and people were singing. Um, what's the song? Oh my God. Fuck. Now I'm not going to be able to remember it. Oh my God. Shit. It's kind of important to the story. Um, anyway, singing this song, um, Oh yeah, I want to break free. So like the person at the mm. at the you know in the center would play the chords and be like, I want to break free, and would sing the little chorus, and then would keep playing the chords and like 
someone in the semicircle of, of people would start singing a verse and would like improvise, be like, I want to break free of blah, 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 and just kind of make up something that they wanted to break free of. And I just thought people were like, people who felt like singing were jumping in and improvising because I walked out when they were like well and truly in, like they'd been doing it for a little while. And then I walked in, one person had a little turn singing before me and then the person in the middle sang again, set up the kind of verse and then played the chords and looked at me and kept playing the chords, like waiting for me to sing. And I was so confused. I was just like, oh, I'd like just sort of joined the circle. What's going on here? Surely I'm not expected to sing right now. I, I don't even know what this is. You know, I wasn't really prepared and I didn't fucking want to sing. You know, I was like, I love singing usually, but this is lame. I don't want to fucking do it. I'm feeling antisocial. Like, fuck off. And um, and it was so funny. Like, I was just like, oh, you know, I didn't come in on my cue, obviously, because I was like, what's going on? And then I was kind of like, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, n- next person kind of thing. And he just like kept playing the chords and looking at me and being like, no, no, go on. Yeah, go on. It's your turn. And everyone was looking at me and I was standing there and he would do the chords and I wouldn't come in on my cue. And I would just be like, no, like seriously, like I don't, I don't want to participate. That's, you know, and it went on for like way too long until I was just like, dude, like I can leave the circle if you want, but like I've said that I don't want to. Yeah, she said that. Yeah, I was like, I can leave the circle if you'd prefer that, but like I'm not going to sing, you know, and I was trying to be polite Mm. still, but I was just so off it. I was so furious because I was like, Mm. where the fuck's the consent here? Like I'm just being ambushed by a fucking joyful singing circle right now. Like no way. Anyway, I'm getting getting aggro, but like that kind of thing would happen quite a bit in those spaces I find. And I just felt like then... Not only was I kind of uncomfortable and like, oh, come on now, I don't feel like doing this. Like, and but I was really like, yeah. it was like everyone was, I mean, this is my assumption, and I'm sure not everyone was, but it felt a bit like people were going, Oh, well, she just hasn't hasn't sort of, you know, broken free of of um right. the shackles of of self-consciousness and and gotten comfortable enough to just like be silly in front of other people and express herself freely like what a bummer for You've her got to like, break free so- Freya yeah. like just do it just break free like what's oh, holding you back I know it's a safe space come on just like just go right. for it we're just here it for out. you just break yeah. free yeah 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 well, Freya exactly. doesn't want to break free like she's oh. just really feeling her limitations so we're just yeah. gonna have compassion for poor Freya <laughs> she's, she's just still in <laughs> this that is the cage like, this is my like spiritual response yeah I know I know no exactly I feel like you get it completely and like it was just so I was like this sucks this is bullshit like come on now it doesn't mean shit I used to get up on stage and perform in bands I could sing in front of people it's not that I'm you know, I'm feeling too self-conscious or embarrassed right now. It's just that like, I'm not in the mood and I shouldn't have to prove anything to you. And I also don't want to perform right now. And I want to break free of this fucking singing circle. And it was just like the perfect, perfect example of some of the, I I would feel often, I would feel ambushed by Mm. these sorts of things and this expectation to participate, even if it wasn't authentic to you. Because otherwise it would be like, mm. oh, well, I guess she just isn't like on the same level. 
Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway. Oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God, I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Mm, yeah I I get it I've had this like this almost allergy towards not so much singing circles even though I don't sing and I that's I just haven't really been in them but um sharing circles Mm -hmm. like I would rather stab myself in the eye with a fork repeatedly than sit in a sharing circle and I know that sounds really unspiritual or like not conscious of me but like I hate them with a fiery passion. Like, and I think it's, it's because I've overdone it. You know, it's not that there's anything wrong with them. I think some people love them. It can be really nice to sit and listen to different people share. Occasionally with certain people, I can get into it, but I have, you know, I went to a lot of, um, like hippie gatherings for many years and where the method, it happened every day that they had these hours long sharing circles and there was this pressure to be in it and sit in it and stay in it. And I think I was, I had done that so many times where I'd been overriding that now it's like, I've just overdone it so much that I cannot be in them. Like, and anytime I find myself, it's like, oh no, we're about to do a sharing circle. I'm like, oh fuck, how do I get out of this? Like, how do I leave? You know, like I get this full flight response, you know? Yeah. And occasionally I can manage and occasionally I'm like, you know what? There's five people here. I actually do want to hear from each of them. This is the, I can handle this for half an hour, but I've just been in too many situations where it's like dragged on for like hours and hours, sometimes five, six hours. And I'm just like, I actually don't care what like person number 57 has to say like anymore, you know, like I can't care about that. And I think that's, that's definitely a big part of like my journey in those communities that like, the, the the pressure to like, well, we have to hear everyone or we all have to do this or this is how this thing works. And and in that, there can be a lot of overriding of what you need for your body. And, you know, maybe you'd rather like leave the circle and go for a swim or have some alone time or read a book. And I think that needs to be um, acknowledged as like just as valid as staying in the circle or doing the ritual or whatever it is, you know? Oh, my God. God, thank you. Yeah, I'm just like, 
I'm just grinning like a fucking naughty. I'm just like, yum, 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 yum. Like, I love this. It's so funny because, like, no one fucking talks about it. And everyone's just so um shanti shanti, like, got to, like, be really, like, reverent and respectful of everyone's process and da 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 Fucking hate sharing circles. Can't do them. Like, I also overdid it. And I, and I, <laughs> I feel like for some it's really valuable the the sharing, but then also the like witnessing of other people and hearing other people's experiences. Like totally get it, but like oh my fucking god, sometimes you're just sitting there and you're like at the end of like a forty person sharing circle, just watching it slowly mm-hmm. move around, and you're just like kill me, kill me right now. And you know you might yeah. not even want to share. Like I would rather That's- be anywhere on this planet than in this situation right now. Yeah. And you can't leave because it's like so obvious and conspicuous if you do, and then also yeah. disrespectful for the people sharing, and it's like not contained. Like and that's the fawn response, right? It's the nice mm-hmm. girl. It's the like I've just got to please the people and do the thing, and I have to stay mm-hmm. here until everyone's spoken. And it's like yep. sometimes the most respectful thing to do for yourself is get up and walk away. And I think this is this is kind of like coming back to some of the stuff that we talk about a bit is like when you're really spiritualizing your relationship with your sexuality. Like I think some. Sometimes people, you know, they get interested to explore their sexuality, right? Like maybe they want to feel more pleasure. Maybe they want to learn more intimacy skills to go deeper in relating with a partner. Maybe they want to get rid of some of the sexual shame that has been burdening them. Maybe they just want to feel like more confident in their body, you know? And all Mm. of that stuff can be explored without making it spiritual, It can be interesting to make it spiritual. I think some people resonate with that. There's definitely like some people love, you know, like going to workshops and doing rituals and and like going on this whole kind of spiritual journey related to that. And I'm not criticizing that at all. I think I've benefited from some of that. I know a lot of people have. It's a very valid path, but it's not necessary. You know, like we, Mm. we can be like, I have this kind of interest in what's holistic these days. So like, okay, sure. Like on some level, we're all spiritual beings, but we're also sexual beings and emotional beings and energetic beings and, you know, like mental beings. And like we have, Mm. there are so many parts of us. And, and when it comes to sexuality in the body, sometimes what I see, um, in the spiritual approaches or spiritual community, it's a bit, um, focused on like transcending the issues rather than actually addressing them. And mm. when you come from a more embodied approach, like when you're focused on, for example, right, I'm feeling sexual shame. How do I work with that? In some communities or circles, they would be like, well, you just rise above it and you focus on this other thing or you pretend it's not there or you, you know, expand into some other thing or you focus on the opposite, mm. you focus on love or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. or confidence, or I don't know, um, or you like rewire it or you manifest something different. And in the, um, you know, the communities and the approaches that I resonate with these days, it's more like, oh, okay, you're feeling some shame. Like, what does that feel like in your body? <laughs> you know, oh, it feels like twisting in my stomach and it feels like heaviness in my chest. And like, okay, can we just be with that as a sensation and like really notice what that's like, you know? Mm. And so that then you have more of a reference point for when the shame comes up again and, and you get to like really explore it as a, as a bodily response rather than, you know, a thing to like overcome or transcend or like manifest away. It's just like a, a very tangible, like real, um, bodily experience that's valid and is there for a reason because of other things that have happened and it's all okay. And, 
you can approach it with um, curiosity and presence and, you know, respect without needing to do um, specific special rituals or mantras or, you know, manifesting practices or sex magic or whatever it is. Like that might be useful and interesting to you, but it might not be. And if you're someone who feels like maybe it's not, um, I really still encourage you to explore your sexuality and and look at the parts of your sexuality that you'd like to go deeper with, knowing that it doesn't need to be this whole spiritual journey. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Cause I think like the spiritual side, um, that often, or like the kind of connotations, the spiritual connotations that might come with something like sacred sexuality, exploration or tantra, that they are really off-putting to a lot of people and really alienating. And it doesn't need to be like that because I feel like that will then cause these people to throw the baby out with the bathwater and not even go there. But it's so important, like what you said about you know, it doesn't have to be spiritual and it can be really helpful and great. And if you're into that, then fuck yeah, go hard. But it's like, yeah, what you were kind of, I loved what you were saying about um, how sometimes in order to like, you know, I guess adhere to like the sort of expectations of, of the circle or whatever, you will abandon your own needs and your own body your nervous mm. system's needs in order to just like conform and to like keep the peace and be polite and like be you know sort of participate as expected because you don't want to make anyone like feel like you're disrespecting the circle for instance just as that that's an example but yeah it might be that like the best thing for you is not to be not to be there you know and I've gotten better and better at just like especially I can usually sense when one's coming up and I can just like abandon ship I've even like been through lockdown there was like um (laughs) birthday friends birthday parties on like a group zoom and then it would move into I've got a couple of friends that are like super into facilitating and circles and whatever so of course the zoom then turned into like a sharing circle and then breakout rooms and stuff. And I was like, fuck this. And I just like literally got off the call <laughs> and pretended I had technical difficulties. Um, mm. Because yeah, I think it's like, it's so important not to abandon your own needs and just to like sometimes be okay with like, I guess it, it you know, the worry is that you're going to come off as rude or uncaring or antisocial, but actually antisocial could just be like self-caring and self-loving and that I want right. to like normalize that and like come back to like the body and what you need because there's nothing more spiritual like I reckon than like listening to that and like staying true to that. Yeah. And um yeah, and then that's also like um something just just popped into my head I think I told you about it but there there was like a really funny moment with uh, my partner Lockie when we were talking about this kind of thing and how everything can get so serious like especially with all the I don't know all of that sort of spirit community stuff can get really serious and and then that people take themselves too seriously and then it just becomes such a drainer and he was like yeah I think people who are like too spiritual just need to like have a good burp and go and watch some stand-up comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I remember this. So good. So good because it's like, yeah, laughing and irreverence and playfulness and and then like more embodied, you know, it's all that's that's kind of my now that I've kind of come for, I've gone really deep into those spaces, I've gone too hard and now I've come back to just being like, okay, like I'm going to cherry pick the stuff that I do find valuable and then 
basically find my own expression of like spirituality and and self connection i suppose um right but yeah i mean yeah and sometimes it's like finding the particular teachers that you resonate with and being like okay well i've done all of this stuff generally and it wasn't that helpful or it was helpful at the time but now i'm over it but this particular teacher like for me that's michaela bohm who i've been working with Mm. for years and just anything she does i'm just like i'm there i want to be there and she's Mm. really the main person i work with these days because i just love her approach and and how she teaches and you know the the facilitator trainings i'm doing with her Mm. and it's just like that's my jam you know, and I, and I feel really good about letting go of all the rest of it for now because it's just not what I need, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I'm so curious. You've kind of alluded to experiences that you've had or things you've seen and stuff in, in some of these communities. And I know that you were like really deep in the Tantra scene, um, overseas for quite a few years back in the day. Do you have any kind of stories or personal experiences that you'd be happy to share about, yeah, I guess anything from like spiritualizing sexuality or trauma to like just massive no-nos that you've seen happen in workshops or in, you know, from facilitators or pretty much anything like that. I just, I love hearing examples of that. (laughs) I could literally write a book about that stuff. (laughs) It's like huge, but you know, so I've, I've been in schools where um, they demonized ejaculation and said that men were not ever allowed to ejaculate and should never ejaculate. Um, Mm you know, unless they were, unless they were trying to have children and that's wrong and bad and like spiritually wrong. And if Mm. you ejaculate, um, at all, you're like losing your vital life force energy and it's draining you and it's wrong. And it's interesting, right? Because I, um, I am a really big fan of like in intimate relating with a male partner. Like I really like it when my partner doesn't ejaculate all the time because I think there's Mm -hmm. something that we can really enjoy together where we're just focused on like feeling the pleasure and the stuff in the moment and not always needing it to end in ejaculation. But um, ejaculation itself doesn't need to be demonized or it's not bad, you know, and Um, I love that men can have orgasmic experiences without ejaculating. And I love that there's, you know, so many more um, things that open up when we're not obsessively focused on ejaculation as the goal of sex. But I think it's really dangerous to demonize it or to think that it's wrong or, or unspiritual or unconscious to ever ejaculate. Because then if a guy does ejaculate, he might feel a lot of shame or judgment or that it's not okay or there's something wrong with him. Mm. Um, so that's one thing that just off the top of my head, but, um, Mm. I've been in communities where they really encouraged everyone to be in open relationships. And if you weren't, then you weren't conscious. I've been in communities that, um, you know, forced people to, or really pushed people to like push their edges with, with sexuality and to, um, maybe do things they weren't totally comfortable with for the sake of like being open and exploratory or, um, mm. yeah, like I've found myself in situations that really were not right. And sometimes, the thing with those spiritual communities is like when that's your whole um like all of the people that you're close to when it's like the place that you live when it's your whole world it can be really hard to um 
have clear boundaries and and feel into what's right and what's not because in those communities often there is like a guru or a teacher or someone who it's kind of widely accepted in those communities that that person the the higher up teacher or the guru or whoever it is knows what's better for you more than you do mm-hmm. and so then you should submit yourself to them and you should listen to them and you should, they want you to and you should take all of their advice and follow it to the letter because you are just a little innocent person who doesn't know anything and they are the ones who are more evolved and they can see what you need mm. more than you and I really subscribe to that like I was in that scene for a few years and I really on some level believed that and while I really see the benefit in having mentors and having um, you know whether you call them teachers or mentors or coaches or people who we can Um, be supported by on our journey, I think um, we need to be really wary of people who um, profess to have all the answers for us, you know, because someone who is a a good mentor will or coach will guide you to have deeper experiences of yourself, you know, and will not like impose their beliefs on you, but guide you to have um, have your own experiences of yourself and, and have go into these places of self-inquiry and self-exploration. And through that, find the answers that are right for you, like find what you need and what's right for you and what resonates for you. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of toxic stuff, especially in the, in some of the neo tantra communities, um, mm. where it's, it's very much like, well, the guru is the one who knows and you just listen to them and you follow them. And, you know, I think it's really, really dangerous and sometimes traumatic and sometimes abusive. And it makes me yeah. really angry that that is still happening in a lot of these communities. And, um, yeah, like I haven't really spoken about it before. So this is a big, big topic. Um, but it's, yeah. It's um, there's a lot of spiritualizing of sexuality that makes me really angry. It's this idea that like, well, you can only become multi-orgasmic if you do all of these spiritual rituals or you can only um, really connect with your vulva and your vagina if you, you know, do it in this particular way that's really spiritual and ritualized. And I don't think it needs to be that way. And I'm yeah. a lot of my work these days is like, sure, we there's sometimes, you know, bringing some intentions into something or making it feel you know, like maybe setting yourself up to do like a, for example, like a self yoni massage where you bring some, some intentionality and just connect with yourself beforehand and, you know, create a bit of a space maybe with some candles or something just to make it feel special. Uh, and I think that can be really beautiful, but, um, I'm really into just like, how do we make this feel grounded and accessible and real mm-hmm in our daily lives, you know, not something that feels like, oh, this is completely different to how I live, but like how do I use these tools and these practices and approaches and infuse them into my daily life and into the messiness of my very human self um, without feeling like there's my completely separate, very spiritual, perfect self and my (laughs) everyday hot mess, like really, you know, confused about things and overwhelmed self because Mm. that's not reality. Totally. Yeah. I th- oh, I love everything you just said. I think it's so important that these conversations are sort of getting out there and being had because especially when like it sounds like with you and for me, like when when people happen across these communities, Neo Tantra was kind of my entry point. Like 
I didn't really know any better. I didn't have any reference point. I didn't have anything to compare it to. I was probably searching for something. I was probably a bit lost. I was like needing support, needing something to sort of shake up things in my life and my um, mindset and, you know, my sort of sexual expression. And so, you know, I definitely found a lot of it super, super helpful. But at the same time, I think a lot of damage was done and trauma was inflicted because of, you know, exactly what you were just speaking about and facilitators just really pushing for that cathartic release or that really, you know, pushing you to, I guess, explore stuff that like, it's almost like, I think, um, because I want to chat about like reclaiming our vanilla, which is, this is sort of segueing into that perfectly, but I kind of got this feeling and still kind of do that sometimes people that are really sexually open, really like really kinky maybe, or super into lots of stuff that's maybe a little bit more taboo or whatever. Um, it's almost like I felt like I, it wasn't okay to be vanilla and I would be more, um, approved of and and welcomed if I was more kinky or more open or expressive in certain ways. And that that just like wasn't, you know, I gave it a crack. I gave it a red hot crack. It's not that I'm not mm. open. I was totally open to enjoying it and giving it a go. But when I gave it a go and didn't enjoy it, I was like, well, I guess that's just not my thing. And like, that's okay. And it took quite a while to come around to this place of acceptance that like, I'm pretty vanilla nil. Like that's that's fine. That's that's okay. And actually that's really grounded for me to actually find so much uh, you know, sensation and sensitivity and eros in a very simple, very kind of body-based um like intimate session, for instance. Um and and yeah, I I just wanna like talk about how yeah, it can it can be easy to feel like less evolved or less connected or spiritual because maybe we're not into all of the big kind of wow stuff, maybe kinks or maybe open relating or maybe like we're just, you know, being really loud and, and out there with our expression. Like that's yeah, that's actually okay. And and I and I wanna know like what your experience of reclaiming your vanilla and and accepting like that's not actually boring like what's your journey been with that hey me again if you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on i want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote tea togs yep you heard that right i even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back so uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. <laughs> you can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned, And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. 
Thank you. Later. Yeah. Well, I think once you really tuned into the subtlety, like I think there can be this thing with, um, with, you know, sexuality where people think that it needs to be really intense. And I think part of that is around how desensitized we are collectively as a culture. And that there's just a lot of numbness and a lot of disconnection. And, and through that, we're quite desensitized in our bodies. And so then what that means is like, you know, really gently stroking your arm or your breast or your belly is not going to feel that interesting if you're super desensitized, right? But having really hard, fast pounding sex might be the one of the things that helps you to feel something, you know, that helps you to feel mm. like some something moving, you know? And mm. um, what I found is that the more I've, I've sensitized my body to access more subtle sensation, the less interested I am in the like super hard and fast as a, as a main focus. Like I feel like when we open up the spectrum of what's possible, then we discover that like, okay, hard and fast or super intense sex or really kinky sex or like really out there sex is one end of the spectrum. And for some people, like I don't mind like a little tiny dose of that occasionally, you know, but um, that's like one part of this whole spectrum and at the other end of that is like really slow super subtle super soft or super simple or vanilla or like just you know and everything in between and I noticed that my natural desire is vanilla as fuck like that's really (laughs) who I am it's what I like it's what I want to explore with a partner like and and I think there are can be this idea with um maybe sexual adventurousness or exploration that okay we're well, going to learn to do like all the positions of the Kama Sutra or, like you're going to you know be having all this like wild passionate crazy sex and it's like I occasionally love a bit of super wild sex but I would say most of the sex I'm having is like wildly vanilla in the <laughs> best possible way and I love it you know like it's such a happy place for me like I don't I don't want to change positions 75 times every time I have sex. Like I don't want to have to like constantly be like doing really, having really hard and fast sex and like overriding my boundaries with what I need and how, you know, that I need to like warm up slowly so that my, my vagina starts to respond and like everything feels comfortable and there's natural lubrication and stuff like that. You know, it's, um, Mm. and I, yeah, I did this post a while ago. I think it was last year. I did this post on social media about, um, being vanilla as fuck. And it got so many responses from people being like, thank you. I'm super vanilla too. Like actually (laughs) it's just my preference. And I think that it's really, um, it's good to just get to know what your natural flavor is, you know, with, with that stuff. And some people, um, are really kinky and are naturally really into like quite out there experiences. And that's awesome. But what's important is that you don't try to force yourself to do those kind of things if you've explored them a little and you just know that they're not right for you <laughs> because, because the, mm. The level of like the depth of intimacy or the depth of pleasure or the depth of like how profound the sex is or how nourishing it is or how great it is has nothing to do with how kinky it is, how fast it is, how like how much your bodies are contorted into pretzels, you know, like (laughs) those things are not unrelated. Like that can all be fun and interesting 
but it doesn't mean that it's good sex because you did 75 different positions. It doesn't mean that it's good sex because it was super hard and fast the whole time. And, and your partner was able to last for 20 minutes without ejaculating. And it was just hammering you the whole time. Like that doesn't, that can be cool, you know, but it doesn't necessarily make good sex. Like what makes good sex is the kind of sex that you want, you know, hopefully Mm, combined with the mm. kind of sex your partner wants in a way that meshes together really well for both of you and where you feel connected, right? Where there's intimacy and connection and you're enjoying the experience, like where both of you are enjoying the experience, you're feeling some pleasure, you're feeling connected. Like I say that's good sex. I say that's great sex, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Because it's really, it really isn't about what it looks like from the outside or the actual acts that you're doing or your approach, whether it be super kinky and that end of the spectrum or super vanilla, like really it doesn't matter. Different stroke for different strokes for different folks. But the, the thing that you want to go for is just, is it authentic to you? Is it satisfying? Is it nourishing? Do you have intimacy and connection and do you feel fulfilled by it? You know, like that's the most important thing and how you get there isn't really important and I think it's so it's so good to emphasize that because sometimes it can feel like one way of doing things or being is like I guess glorified or pedestalized and and sort of encouraged or approved of more and if you're not fitting into that then you're kind of like oh I'm boring or I'm vanilla or like yeah so everything everything good everything's good you know like um and, and I love that you talk about that because I, yeah, I've had this convo with a lot of people and everyone who sort of identifies with being vanilla often says like, I'm too vanilla or I'm boring or like, oh yeah, I know it's not. And I used to feel a bit like that. I was a bit like bummed out that I wasn't into more kinky things and like, wouldn't that just be so much more exciting and wouldn't it just be more interesting? But, you know, like you were saying, you can still find so much sensitivity and connection and intimacy in like subtle subtle things and just it just looks a different way for you and yeah it's um it's all good baby but before we wrap up I'm just very conscious of time because I know you gotta you gotta go Mm -hmm. but I do want to ask you for a TMI Uh, because mm-hmm. it's now time for this segment where I ask you for a TMI story um, and it's also okay if you don't participate because I'm not going to do that whole sort of like shamey, judgy, peer pressure thing where it's like you have to share something really fucking vulnerable and personal with me like right now otherwise you're not evolved and you're not conscious. That's not what we're doing here. But if you do, <laughs> if, you, if you do have a story that would usually be considered too much information, then let's like lay it on me, baby. Mm. So this is interesting. It's a tricky one for me because it has been my job for the last 10 years to tell stories about my orgasms on stages and in front of people. So I don't really have much of a filter with the idea of TMI and I don't know what's TMI. And then a lot of the stories that I guess other people would think are TMI, I'm like, oh, they're boring. I've told them a hundred times. So I'm trying to feel into like what's something that's different. I guess like I'm really interested in like these days, right? Like I used to be very much about orgasm and I think orgasm's great and I'm still very into it. But these days I'm much more into um, what I call being orgasmic. And that's just like feeling a lot of pleasure and like orgasmic sensations and, um, you know, not necessarily like a big peak orgasmic release, but just like feeling lots of lovely pleasure in your body. And um, I 
with the, the exploration I've done, the sensitizing my body, I feel like I've, I've had experiences where, um, not even related to my genitals, but okay. So here's one. Um, I was with a male friend once and we were hanging out. I think we had some like errands to run. We had to go to like Bunnings and the Chinese grocery store and a few different places, right? In the local town. And something happened. I don't even know where it came from, but I just entered into this like whole body orgasmic state while we're walking through Bunnings. Show and off. So we're just like, <laughs> so we're just, it was weird because it didn't come from anywhere. Like it wasn't, you know, nothing particular happened. So, I, but I was just like, okay, this is a lot. And um, so we're just like wandering around doing our errands. And I'm like in this full dissolving, like what the fuck is reality melting around me kind of all. Like I would have sworn I was on mushrooms, but I know I wasn't. <laughs> And um, and it's just, I think it was really helpful, that experience to like expand my awareness of like what pleasure can be or what orgasmicness can be or what kind of pleasure mm. is available um, in the moment through the gateway of just like being really present, you know, like it doesn't mm. need to be that you're in a special thing or you've done this crazy ritual or you're, you know, in the fifth hour of tantric sex or, or whatever, but yeah. it can be just like, yeah, like walking in nature or like at the shops or whatever, like you can have um, wildly pleasurable experiences, you know, in all these different contexts. And um, I've, yeah, I, I have them a bit, like I haven't had them recently actually, like I, but I have had them, like there was a period where I had them pretty regularly and it was, um, really fun and exciting and like random and just kind of like, when's it going to happen again? It happened once when I was driving a car on the highway and I had to, I missed my exit and I had to like go two more exits down to, um, to like regain my composure before I could like operate the motor vehicle properly to get off the highway. But, um, so it has occasionally been like slightly dangerous, but, um, it's been really interesting. And I think that's really opened me up to what pleasure can be. And also that, that orgasmicness doesn't need to be genital even. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm officially jealous. Um, maybe I need to go to a few more sharing circles and I don't know, I'll get there one day. <laughs> Just get your yoni mapped. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard there's someone really amazing. Have you heard of her? Her name's Freya Graf. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll never fucking um, see Bunnings the same again. I actually just, I am pretty orgasmic when I'm in Bunnings anyway because I just feel like it's a wonderland and I fucking love it, but that's just me. <laughs> right, yeah, totally. A little wait, inner, yeah. inner country, country bogan comes out when I'm in there. She's like having <laughs> a field day. We have that in common. We're both We're both from the country. <laughs> oh, Bunnings is just a happy place. Um, anyway, I am going to leave it there because I know you've got to get going and coach coach your next client into orgasmic Bunnings fucking transcendent bliss um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in T minus two minutes. So I'm going to leave it there, but thank you so much for coming on the potty. It's been beautiful having you in the labia lounge because you've been such a huge part of my journey with this work and just such a dear friend. Um, so I'd love to have you back again to chat about more chunky shit sometime. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad, just quietly, I'm so glad that you've made a podcast. And like, it was funny, I listened to some of it yesterday and I was like, Freya's always had a podcast, right? Like, <laughs> it just feels like it's just like always been a thing. Like, I know it's new, but it's like, it just feels like it's totally your zone. And um, yeah. it makes me happy that you're doing it. And, I, and I've been like, I've had your podcast jingle in my head, like multiple times. So I think you're, you're <laughs> onto an absolute winner. And I'm, I'm so glad that other people get to hear you having awesome conversations oh thank you yeah I can't I feel like it's definitely my happy place as well I feel like my life I'm just walking around chatting feeling like I'm on a podcast half the time because I also <laughs> listen to them a lot so right I've just got like yeah. this running kind of podcast brain going on so at least now I'm recording it and hopefully people are benefiting from it so thank you for being a part totally. of that my dear <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, beautiful. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'll see you later. <laughs> and that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.